Bangers, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Kay. This week, we are doing Worst of First, ranking the solo stylistic creations of Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer of Iron Maiden. If you've listened to us before, you know Bruce is one of our favorite metal singers. The man known as the Air Raid Siren has six studio albums, making up a truly eclectic catalog. Today, Kenneth and I are going to rank his solo releases in order from worst to first. We probably won't agree on all the rankings, and that's when we'll debate to decide on a final order. So last week, we gave you a version of Judas Priest's greatest hits. Download that or any episode you want from your favorite podcast platform and click subscribe to get our latest episode at the precise moment it lands on your device. All right, so Bruce Dickinson, worst to first. So before we start, I did want to say and mention to everyone listening out there that we did do a a head-to-head debate um, where we pitted um, Accident of Birth against The Chemical Wedding, uh, and that was back in episode 56. So if if, uh, you want to hear some more detailed information about those two particular albums, click on that episode, and uh, you'll see what we thought about which one was the better one. So I wanted to say a couple things before we kind of get into it. Um, So... You know, Bruce released his first solo album in 1990, um, you know, recorded in 1989. Obviously, he was still in Iron Maiden at that point. Um, You know, obviously, he was starting to become a little bit dissatisfied with just being in Iron Maiden. Uh, They'd been constantly touring, going, you know, worldwide. They're a huge band. But this was going into their, their period where they were releasing No Prayer for the Dying, and obviously after that, um, uh, Fear of the Dark. Uh, so, so, you know, I can understand where he would want to do something maybe a little different. Uh, obviously, Adrian Smith was also kind of not into go- the direction that they were going in and left the band to. Uh, so there's, you know, this is kind of a, a period where he, he's just branching out and trying new things. And you'll kind of, as we, as we talk about it, you'll kind of hear just how far he branched out. Um, but you know, his career as a solo artist started while he was in Maiden, obviously, kept going while he was out of Maiden, but then he actually recorded one more after his return to Maiden. So he's, uh, you know, one of our favorite artists, as we mentioned before, um, one of my favorite singers for sure. And it's really cool to see, you know, something a little different than Maiden throughout his entire career. But as we mentioned before, very eclectic. Yeah. Eclectic and Experimental is definitely some words that keep popping up on this. All right, so let's get to this list that, that we're going to come up with. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and list my um, my order of the six albums and from worst to first. And um, so for me, ranking six to one, um, number six would be Skunk Works, um, then followed by number five, Tattooed Millionaire. And then followed by number four, Balls to Picasso. And then number three would be Tyranny of Souls for me. Number two would be Accident of Birth. And number one would be Chemical Wedding. And we'll talk about those some more in a second after you do your list. All right. Um, so my number six, uh, to, to no surprise, is also going to be Skunk Works. Uh, my number five is Balls to Picasso. Uh, my number four is Tattooed Millionaire. My number three is going to be Tyranny of Souls. My number two is Accident of Birth. And my number one is also Chemical Wedding. So not a lot of difference there. No, not a lot. Um, in re- in reality, it's there's only one album different. And it's funny because... Um, I at the last minute changed and put Tattooed Millionaire lower and and brought Balls to Picasso up. So I guess mostly what we're going to be doing is just talking about the merits of each album. Well, we have to do a little bit of debating, but this is probably one of the least debated uh, lists that we're going to put and it, together. And it, it goes to show you 
the because of the eclecticness, because of the experimentation, this really goes to show you that the the albums literally put themselves in in a particular place where it's almost definitive as where they they stand in his career. You know, it, it's 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 unusual. Because you know, and maybe someone else might sit there and say, "Well, actually, birth is much better." But you know what? That's your opinion. We this is our opinion, you know. And someone might sit there and say, "Skunk Works was awesome." I, they don't know who that is. Yeah, we don't know who that there's is. There's always somebody one. out there. <laughs> I want to think he's out there in, in like Slovakia somewhere. <laughs> you know, but the, here's the thing. Like, sometimes there's a nostalgia factor or it hits you at the right time. And there's you're totally valid in, in enjoying that. Um, I, I There's a there's a video game reviewer that I, I listen to occasionally um, where he was talking about, like, basically he had fans vote in bad games for him to play. And he would always find something that was fun or interesting about it. And he'd say, you know, like, fans, I can understand why you would enjoy this. Because there's there's something here. There's something that... And, it, and if you picked this up when it was new and that was the only game you had, then I would understand it. So I would imagine the same thing applies to music in a lot of ways. Like, maybe you didn't have the budget to just go buy every CD out there. And this was the one you had and you listened to it and you enjoyed it and found something to like about it. So there's always those aspects, too. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying something that other people don't like. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's funny you say it that way because... There are people. Okay, so we're talking about Skunk Works. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Skunk Works first. So that was number six. There are people out there who, for for what it's worth, um, only enjoy this style of music. Now, when I I, I was listening to a little bit to kind of get an, a, a gauge of you know how bad do I really think it is in comparison to the rest of his stuff, and you know we we call this uh, or I call it, and I think you would, you agree this is Bruce's attempt at making an alternative metal album, you know, stuff that was coming out in the, in the, in the nineties and even early two thousands in some cases. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of similarities to like, to Bush, um, to Chevelle, uh, you know, things like that. And that style of music in this album, there are some good riffs. There are, uh, you know, some things that can be appreciated if that's the kind of music you like. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not taking anything away from bands like Bush or Chevelle or anything like that because they have their fans and they have their success. But we're talking about Bruce Dickinson, the, the 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 lead singer of Iron Maiden, and at the time the former lead singer for Iron Maiden. We're we're thinking that this guy's a metalhead. We're thinking that you know that this guy's the the, the premier vocalist of some of the finest heavy metal ever produced. And then we get this, and it's like whoa. What is that? Yeah, it's it's just such a departure from his typical sound. And I understand wanting to do something different, try something different. Uh, and he has a lot of range. Obviously, he can do the really heavy stuff. He can have the harsher vocals. He can sing very softly and beautifully at times. Um, this, for me, though, just the sound of his voice, the timbre of his voice, just to me does not mesh a grunge alternative kind of sound. So it just, something about it's very off-putting. It's admirable to try something different. It's admirable to experiment, but it's not always like you, you just can't do everything. You know, if you're uh, Barry White, um, you probably don't have the, the, the same vocal range to sing Karen Carpenter, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's certain things you just, you may want to, you may want to do it, but it's not the right thing to do. So it, skunk works is one of those albums that I've tried a few times to listen to and say, I'm going to find something of merit that I like. Um, you know, and I really just don't, there, doesn't mean that it's not good. It's just not for me. So, Definitely my number six. There's no question. Exactly. I mean, it, it was put there for a reason by both of us, and, and that's where we put it. So now this is where you and I um, differ with Tattoo Millionaire and Balls to Picasso. Well, let's, well, wait, wait. Before uh-huh. we move on, let's talk about the highlights of the album, though. Because 
technically there are highlights um to me not so much there's back from the edge which was i believe the first single and inside the machine which was the second single i would say back from the edge is probably the best song like the most that i can listen to and enjoy from that album what would you say um yeah i i just so i i just listened to this you know before we we started recording this and i did catch like like i said there were some good riffs the song faith has a good riff it's not a bad song yeah it's it has a good riff it just i don't know something just doesn't mesh for right me. and, you know but see for for me you know that style of music was something I listened to back in that day. You know, I, I, I yeah. range, you know, because obviously I'm a fan of, of eighties pop metal, you know, and I, and I have no problem with a lot of new metal that came out. I have, I don't have a, a problem with a lot of uh, metal core stuff, but you know, there's, there's certain things. The, the album, this album to me is just all over the place. So I saw, I, I, I heard Ed, uh, excuse me, I heard Faith and I thought that that's a pretty cool song. Um, Back from the Edge is not a bad song. You know, so there are some highlights. I would say those two for me are, are the ones. Gotcha. All right. So now we get to the point where, where, where it differs for you and me. So we, Tattoo Millionaire and Balls to Picasso. So, um, I had Tattoo Millionaire in the number four spot, and then I moved it down to number no. five. Oh, okay. Excuse me. And oh. never mind. Sorry. Just and and then so I moved it down to number five right before we started recording because I, I thinking about the songs and, and the style of music that was played. Tattooed Millionaire was was his first solo album, and. To me, it was a it was a product of the times. I mean, you're talking 1989. It was you know, pop metal was totally taking over um, MTV. Uh, the whole idea was that you get get yourself a single on uh, a video single on MTV. You get get yourself on the radio. You go on tour. You got a lot of hair. You know, uh, all that good stuff. And you know, Iron, even Iron Maiden was kind of falling prey to this in 1990, and even with Fear of the Dark. I mean, those two, out, uh, No Prayer for the Dying and Fear of the Dark, you know, you could see, especially on Fear of the Dark, that that Steve Harris was trying to really try and get a, a hit. And he didn't need to because Iron Maiden already had their hits. All you had to do, it all came out so um, organically, and it's, those two albums seemed forced. You know, definitely so. no prayer for the dying is one of my least favorite iron maiden albums um it just there's there's a lot of lack of cohesion there and you know yeah they they brought over bring your daughter to the slaughter which is probably one of the best songs on the album it's not even really an iron maiden no, and song. it's a bruce solo song yeah, you know is a cover of a bruce <laughs> exactly album, so so with bruce with tattooed millionaire Again, it was another one of those albums where he was kind of all over the place. Um, and he was basically getting, to me, getting off his chest some of the things that did not fit within Iron Maiden. Um, and mm -hmm. just things that he wanted to do. Ex again, more experimentation. Now, this was where all the experimentation started. Um, but, he, you know, he wanted to do certain things that, you know, and, and he got them off his chest. So... Tattoo Millionaire, the single is okay, you know, but, you know, there's other songs on there that are okay, and I think he did a cover of a, of a David Bowie song on there, right? Uh, yeah, uh, All the Young right. all, So he did All the Young, you know, so he, he did a cover of a David Bowie song on there, so that, you know, All the Young Dudes, that was good. No, that's not, that's a Mato Hoople song, isn't it? Yeah, all the dudes. That's a yeah, but it's a it's a Mata Hoople song, but David Bowie wrote. Ah, okay, so that's where. It is. So, so that's where you're confused, right? Is, yeah. So, you know, he did he did the cover. Period. He did he did the cover of all you all the young dudes. It's a good cover. He does good covers when he does them. Um, but at the same time, you know, if if you're gonna put that out there and and that's one of the best songs in the album, you know, it it, it kind of tells you the album's not that great. Tattooed Millionaire again was okay, you know. Uh, Born in '58, Hell on Wheels, those were, you know, adequate songs. 
but nothing was nothing here stood out. So that's why I kind of moved it down because I think there's songs on Balls to Picasso I like better, and as an overall package, I like it better than Tattooed, and that's why I moved Tattooed down. But you had it the other way around. So my feelings, uh, you're, like you're using a lot of words like adequate and all right. Um, I, I actually feel differently about Tattooed Millionaire, and maybe it's because of when I got the album. Um you know, I, I like the track Tattooed Millionaire, and I really like Born in, in 58. Um, it's got kind of more of a Journey-esque sound at times. Like, the songwriting reminds me more of bands of that ilk. You know, where they... What is what is Journey? Pop? I mean, pop they're, they're pop rock. They're oh, pop, I mean, hard they're, rock. Yeah, they're hard pop, rock. Yeah, I mean, pop rock. Melodic yeah. rock, if you want to call it that. Now it's classic so, rock. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of similarities to what they were doing with um, No Prayer for the Dying in Iron Maiden. Um, but there's also a lot of different stuff. So you're right. In, the, in some ways, it's kind of all over the place. Um, because, like, I would say Dive, Dive, Dive sounds more like what would appear on No Prayer for the Dying than say tattooed millionaire or born in 58 would sound like right so yeah i i kind of get what you're saying um i'm just i'm just not as big of a fan of the sound of balls to picasso the production i'm not as big of a fan of i do like some of the riffs and it's a little heavier definitely a little heavier um you know, it's it's also what their first collaboration with Roisy or his first collaboration with Roisy. Um you know, there's some good stuff on Balls to Picasso. So um, you know the you mentioned the highlights on Tattooed Millionaire. I would say the t- the highlights for me on Balls P- to Picasso would be Tears of the Dragon. Um I like a thousand points of light. You know, it's a little funkier as as a whole on on the album. There's some stuff on there like shoot all the clowns. I could hear like that as background music to uh, a Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of song. You know, so there's there's some interesting stuff there. He's trying stuff a little bit different on that album than on Tattooed Million. Yeah, no, Eddie Casillas is a really badass bass player, so uh, that definitely showed up a lot in the in the songwriting. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, but, but yeah, you know, Thousand Points of Light. I like the song Laughing in the Hiding Bush. Myself, Shoot All the Clowns is good. Tears of a Dragon was was a, was a single for him. Um, you know, some of the... the That's a really good track. Yeah. So some of the stuff in the early part of the album, Gods of War, I mean, they're not... And, and Cyclops wasn't horrible you know my, my problem with cyclops is it feels like it should have been about four minutes shorter well yeah it is a long it's, song it's, a, <laughs> it's an eight, eight minutes. minute track to start the album off and it's it's all right but it's not it's not an epic eight minute song it's a three minute song that dragged on for five extra minutes yeah and, and that's those that's where it hurts those types of things. I just felt for me that um, I liked the the collection of songs better on Balls to Picasso than 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 Tattooed Millionaire. Um, so the, the I mean I think I think that's fair. Um, you know, it's it's kind of up in the air for me. Like you could you could really flip a coin to some degree. You know, since since I had. I mean, in in this particular case, um, I don't have a problem moving balls down and, and tattooed back up only because, I mean, you're putting up a fair case on it. And to me, I would say the, the two albums as a collection uh, as a whole, you know, you, you take Skunk Works out because there was a tr- tremendous amount of experimentation. And you can see that Bruce at this point with balls to Picasso is kind of going back in the direction of a little bit harder rock than he had on tattooed and a little bit harder than he had on skunk works. So it's almost like he he's returning somewhere to his roots. There's a root there somewhere. <laughs> you know? Well, here, here's what I don't like about balls to Picasso in comparison to tattooed millionaire. So I think Bruce had a, maybe a better experience doing tattooed millionaire because there is 
I don't want to say like like happiness or joy in his voice, but it sounds like he ha- he's having more fun with that album than with Balls to Picasso, where he almost sounds frustrated at times. Like there's something about his voice that, you know, he's always a professional. He always sounds great, but I don't know. There's there's like a um, it's like a median between what he was doing with Maiden, and then you know what he does with Skunk Works, and that sounds like a stretch, but it is a stretch. Like the difference between say um, what's uh, uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And Skunk Works, let's just say, because we're going with the last of the really good Maiden albums from their their first run, right? Um, The difference between Skunk Works and Seventh Son is massive. So somewhere in the median between there is Balls to Picasso. And so where Tattooed Millionaire was, was like hey, let me step out and just do all this fun stuff that I haven't been able to do because I've been in this band... Balls to Picasso sounds like he's trying to form a new band. He's not satisfied with what he's doing in Maiden, and he's trying to find that that you know direction. And so, to me, it 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 almost sounds like, in some ways, um, joyless. I, I if that makes no, sense. No, it, it definitely makes sense, and I and I get where you're coming from because that is when. You know he he you know he joined forces with Roy Z. They had the band uh, Tribe of Gypsies that basically became mm-hmm. Bruce's backing band. So yeah, he basically formed a new band. Um, did yeah. it work out? No, because obviously the band changed a little bit on the next album. So it is is I can totally see your point in in and where that's coming from as far as there's this he's working with new people. Uh, as opposed to with, with tattooed, I think it, it was a matter of like, you know, uh, you know, Yannick was a friend of his, so he, mm-hmm. he brought him in. He said, "Hey, you know, let's let's write some music together." Um, where he became friends with Roy Z, and he became friends with the the rest of the guys in Band of Gypsies, so it was still getting to know them, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, where you know, with tattooed, you know, he's got. You know, he's got Yannick. Uh, I don't know where he got the bass player Andy Carr from or, or Fabio Del Rio, the drummer. But, you know, he has a, a very familiar team around him uh, with mm-hmm. with uh, Chris Sangarides and Nigel Green, the, the production team. Those guys, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was familiar with them. So um, just just the, uh, the idea there was a lot of familiarity in that making of... Tattoo Millionaire, where there was, I put this band together. Now we need to make this work on this next album, or, or it wasn't even the next album, but it was, it was. Uh, well, actually, hold on, let me let me back something up. Boston Picasso came out before Skunk Works. Yeah, I I was I was under the impression it was reversed, so that doesn't change. No, my, no, no. It doesn't Bals, change my argument. Bals Picasso was. Yeah, Balsu Picasso was ninety four. Yeah. Skunk Works was in ninety six. I thought Skunk Works came out first, which no. And, and what's what's crazy? <laughs> what's crazy about Skunk Works is so you have this established band that he's putting together for Balsu Picasso, and you know he's working with Roy Z, and he throws it all out to to form a new band to kind of get this uh, grunge sound. So that's that's another thing. Was I don't know how well everything meshed and how he felt about it at that time because obviously he went in a very different direction two years later. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at it that way, you know, I was completely, you know, backwards on that. But even then, so he did, you know, the, the whole thing with Band of Gypsies, it, you're, it's, the, the argument stays the same. He went from having this familiarity with with Tattoo Millionaire to this new band, Balls to Picasso. And now with Skunk Works, he's definitely trying to go alternative because the fact that he's working with Jack and Dino, who is the producer of Skunk Works, that mm-hmm. guy was just known for being in that alternative rock scene. Uh, and he's worked with... Yeah, he was all in on that that change, that sound. Yeah. And- uh, no, but his <laughs> record company fans, nobody, 
was in on it with him. <laughs> no, you know, and Jack Andino, he was he was into the whole the grunge scene and the Seattle guys. I mean, it's that that was where he basically made his mark. Um, I mean, a guy produced Nirvana's Bleach album. You know, he did Mud Honey. Yeah. He did he did. Um, What's his face? Mark Lanigan from from Screaming Trees. So th- that that was his his uh, forte, and they bring him in to do you know Skunk Works and 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 have have him work with Bruce. Eh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, it didn't work. So it's unfortunate, but anyhow, that. The the you're totally right. So I I would go ahead. I don't have a problem flip flopping tattooed and, and balls to Picasso into those spaces that that you have them in. Okay. All right. So all right. So that that puts um, you know Skunk Works in number six. We're at um, balls to Picasso in number five for you. You have uh, for, for for both of us now. And then tattooed millionaire moves up to number four. Um, so now obviously you and I had. Three, two, one, exactly the same. It was tyranny of souls, accident of birth, and the chemical wedding. Um, I, you know, when you and I were talking about doing this this show, I mentioned that tyranny of well, the, these three albums were the trilogy. In reality, it's not they're not a trilogy of albums, but they are three albums, and to me, they are Bruce's three best albums as a solo mm-hmm. musician, and. Um, and there is three metal albums, right? Exactly. I mean, they're, they're the heaviest of all his albums that he's done, or, or all three of them of all the solo albums he's done. And I mean, when you look at the three, we ha- I personally think we have them in exactly the correct order, and uh, that they should be in. You know, tyranny should be in the number three spot, accident should be number two, and and, and chemical number one. Um, I'm not as familiar with tyranny of souls as I am with accident and chemical. Um, because it came out after he returned to Iron Maiden, it was kind of almost a throwaway. He put it out there, but he knew nothing was going to happen with it because he was full on in with the Maiden, you know, the Maiden machine. But what 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 are your thoughts on the album? So I I really like Tyranny of Souls. Um, you know, it's it's a really heavy album. If you haven't listened to it, uh, is it's definitely one worth checking out. Um, it's the heaviest in sound of the of the latter three Bruce albums. Um, it really has some good melodic elements to it. The, some of the solos are really awesome. Um, Bruce, one thing he does is he loves to read, and he loves to put in these references to um, history and uh, literature in all of his stuff and in this particular instance he put in a lot of uh, lyrics from Macbeth and the title actually is a reference to the play as well so if you're familiar with Macbeth um, you'll find something to like here Um, you know I I think it's a really good album Uh, it's the only one that does not have Adrian Smith from this set of of three albums uh royce he does all of the guitar work on here and he does a really good job playing multiple parts um you know highlights i would say abduction probably one of my favorite songs in the album soul intruders navigate the seas of the sun and power of the sun uh some of my favorite songs on that album i i like um you know i like abduction a lot I like Soul Intruders. I also like Devil on the Hog. I think that's a pretty cool song. Yeah, um, that one's you know, really Kill good. Devil Hill. I mean, those, those were, the, I think Kill Devil Hill was the first uh, song that came out as a, as a single kind of thing uh, to, to to promote the album. But it's not a bad album. I mean, it's some... some I want to say Abduction was the was first it the, Was it the first one? Or, I mean, single, not solo. I just, I, I just remember Kill Devil Hill being out there when it came out. But either way... Um, it, it's a good album. I like it a lot. Um, I just don't like it as much as I like Chemical and and, and Accident of Birth. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, I think I know why it is that Kill Devil Hill attracted me is because of the band Kill Devil Hill that was uh, Vinny Apice's, um side project, whatever one of his projects that he has. And so it had the same, same name. So that's why it kind of triggered a bell. 
Um, so that's actually a reference to the Wright brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was their f- successful flight. Right. Yes. So, and I, like I said, the, 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 I'm familiar with it from from the uh, the band Kill Devil Hill. That was mm-hmm. uh, what's his face is um, Vinnie Appice and and then the uh, the bass player from Pantera. Uh, what was his name? Rex Rex Brown. Rex Brown. So yeah, yeah, so that was their 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 band they had put together post Pantera. All right, so the number two album that we we both were in agreement with was Accident of Birth. Um, it, it's kind of weird that he had he came up with that name because I th- I think for me as as a fan that was kind of a, almost like a rebirth of Bruce Dickinson to being back to being a a, a heavy metal singer and it's almost like the title almost seems to me and it's it's just this is you know when you when you start reading into things the way you want to feel about something accident it's almost like he stumbled back into being this again you know he rekindled his friendship with with Adrian they got back to you know they he brought him in to do the project you know now him and Roy Zier are the the the, the tag team guitar players and they just it, it, he felt he felt uh invigorated again and you know so that this album really really shows that there's that reinvigoration for for Bruce. You know, you know what's crazy to me about this album is it's one year later after Skunk Works, just one year difference, and it sounds like five six years difference. I, I don't know what it is about it, but to me, it just does not make sense that this came out in 1997 and Skunk Works was 96. <laughs> And then, and the funny thing, Chemical Wedding was in '98. I mean, he was doing yeah. in the '90s what bands did in the '80s and '70s, which was just cranking out album after album after album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you said, this was like what the second co- collaboration with Roy Z. You know, getting back together with him. Obviously, getting back together with Adrian was huge. They have that, even though Adrian only has two songwriting credits. They have a chemistry there. They have a history, and you can hear it. It, it's such an enjoyable sound. Um, the we, when we when we talked about our episode where we did head to head, you know, the, the both albums are really great, and I love both albums. But what to me about this particular album is is lesser than Chemical Wedding is that while this is very experimental, this has a, a little bit more. Um, you know, trying to do more things, I guess, and find that that comeback sound, all the all the the trappings of a a, a uh, return album. Um, Chemical Wedding is much more cohesive, but I still love both. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack here because like they got Derek Riggs to do the cover. And if you know Derek Riggs did all of the original covers up until No Prayer for the Dying. So this, in a way, is a symbolic, uh, you know, Adrian and 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 Bruce are back together. Adrian has songwriting credits on No Prayer for the Dying. So this is almost like a continuation from 1990. You know, there's a, there's a lot of really fun stuff here. And I there's... Uh, my highlights I've got Road to Hell, Freak, Man of Sorrows, Dark Side of Aquarius, Accident of Birth. That's half the album is highlights. Oh yeah. Oh, this I Road to Hell is my favorite song on on this album. Uh, absolutely. You know, but I Hands love down. Freak. I love Dark Side of Aquarius. Um, you know, those are really really good songs. Star Children is an, is is an interesting that song really too. Good it's too. A, it's a good one. Taking, I mean, the whole first half of the album really for me is is awesome. Um, Man, Man of Sorrows is really great too. It it's the it's kind of the outlier here though because it's it's such a different. It's a softer song. Um, it's not as as you know cohesive in the context of the album in some ways, but it's a really great song. So there's there's so many things about this to enjoy. It to me when I see that it's it's not a bigger hit than than it is, 
you know, in the in this, the scheme of history, it's it's always a little disappointing to me because we hear these and we love we love this album. And for people not to know it, you know, they see, oh, this is the guy from Iron Maiden. He's not with Iron Maiden anymore. I'm not going to listen to that. That's that's so wrong. This is an album. If you haven't heard it, you need to pick up today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's you know, it, you know, reading it right here, you know, it's it's ranked in the top 500 greatest rock and metal albums of all time. You know, it it is up there, and then I'm sure Chemical Wedding is in there too. It is a really really good album. the 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 sad part about it is, is because he was on a small label, he did not have a, a, a tremendous amount of of pull at this point. He left Maiden. He lost all that uh, swagger that he had. The one thing for me that I'm still trying to figure out, I have not been able to to find out what the deal is is who was his manager during this period because he still he was on uh, this this album was released in the UK on Raw Power Castle Communications which is the same label that Iron Maiden was on at the time um and CMC International United States which is the same label that Iron Maiden was on during the 90s so that it's very interesting the fact that he he had Derek do the album cover and then names it Edison. So the character on the front is Edison, which is, <laughs> you know, if you... Eddie's son. It's right. It's, it's Eddie's son. So now you you you, you see that and, and you read that. And if I'm not mistaken, he actually spoke to Rod Smallwood about the fact that he was doing that. So, and, and there was no pushback from Rod. So the question is, you know, what kind of relationship did he have with Rod and who was his manager during his time period? That's the one thing that kind of always intrigued me because he had still a lot of ties to the Iron Maiden camp. Yeah. You know, and, and so that, that, that's the the intriguing thing about, about this album and as well as chemical wedding. So yeah, this album is great. And if you don't have it, like, like uh, Chris said, you guys need to get it. Um, so that brings us to our number one album, which is The Chemical Wedding. And again, as, as we mentioned, we did do a head-to-head between Chemical and, and Accident of Birth in episode 56. And we talked about each song in detail, you know, on both albums. This album, and, and it when we did that head-to-head, and I'm not going to say which one I chose and which one Chris chose, but I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, because our feelings pick, change from exactly. you know, so month to that's month. That's the one and thing. This was a year ago, like over a year ago? Uh, yeah. I mean, shit, 56, that was episode 56, and we're this is episode 90, so that's uh, a little bit under a year ago, almost at a year. Oh, gotcha. Okay, under a year ago. So, you know, there was lots of opinions that, 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 were changed between listening to these two albums together and stuff like that between me and you and all that stuff in different songs. So I, I definitely recommend checking that episode out. This album is awesome. You know, from the, from the minute, from the second that that, that, that drum fill hits and then all of a sudden those down tuned guitar riffs, just, you know, those chords get hit. It's like, Whoa, that's a completely different sound for Bruce. And then all of a sudden, when it's when when Roy Z and Adrian start chugging in, you know this is going to be a good album. It, it, I mean, it starts off with a banger, and it just continues throughout the whole album. I mean, this is a great album. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a heavier sound than Accident of Birth. It's a more focused, cohesive album. Um, you know, this they're kind of in the groove. They're in the pocket because these are mostly, if if not all, the same players. So. Uh, let me double check that. Um, the only, yeah, see. it is the same players because it's it's Dave Ingram, it's Eddie Casillas, Roy Z, Adrian. Smith. So it's the same five guys that did accident did uh, the Chemical Wedding, and yeah. So there's, there is that that cohesion there that comes not with just uh, you know the the fact that Adrian and Bruce have a history and Roy Z has a history, but now these guys have played two albums together and this is over the course of what uh a year two, two years like two yeah two years i mean if you think about um, it too i mean uh, skunk works and uh, not skunk works uh, balls of cows came out in 92 this is 1998 so so their their relationship is only was six Picasso years was 94 huh 
It was 94. Oh, Baltic Plastic 94. So even even yeah. even better from 94 to 98. It's a four-year period where they did th- mm-hmm. three albums together. And uh, you I mean so they're they're pretty they're pretty tight knit unit. The only difference was Adrian who joined up for the last two albums. So yeah, it makes all the sense yep. in the world that this one seems to be the most cohesive and the most, um, I guess you could say, I mean, cohesive is the only, is really the best word to use where they're most comfortable with each other in that regards. Yeah. I mean, this is another case where Bruce brings in some of his, uh, taste for literature as well brings in spoken word sections uh, with quotes by Arthur Brown um, you know he's a huge fan of Arthur Brown uh, so he actually appears on the album and reads those those spoken word sections um, so there's there's a really strong cohesion and then there's just really good tracks King of Crimson Chemical Wedding The Tower uh, Killing Floor Trumpets of Jericho I mean, I I like the album pretty much from front front to back. It's it's really good. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like Book of Thel. That's another good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's yeah. it it doesn't really let go until I think it gets to Gates of Horizon. Uh, before there's there's a, like a really a break in anything, you know. And then I think with Jerusalem and then Trumpets Jericho it picks back up again. So it's a really cool. Album, I I love this album, you know, uh, beginning to end. It's one of those front to back albums. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so that is our Bruce Dickinson worst to first. I mean, we'll say it again. It was Skunk Works, tattooed. Uh, no, skunk, excuse me, Skunk Works. We've agreed on Baltz of Picasso for number five. Skunk Works for number four. Tyranny of Souls for number three. Uh, accident of birth and number two and the chemical wedding is number one so uh, if you have any comments or you have any disagreements please let us know when the episode comes out and we'll be glad to mix it up with you online so that brings us to our big four for tonight and tonight's big four is lead guitar duos so we particularly said said it with that way because in heavy metal two guitar bands are are relatively the norm and in a lot of cases, Metallica, Anthrax, they have a rhythm guitar player who occasionally plays a lead here and there, and they have a lead guitar player who occasionally lets the rhythm guitar player play a lead here and there. So, but um, in this particular case, we wanted to, the, to pick out the duos that exchange leads back and forth. They both played rhythms. They both, uh, excuse me, they both play rhythms. They both play leads. And so that's where we we came up with this big four for tonight. Uh, why don't you go ahead and go first with your big four? Actually, why don't you go first? Okay, never mind. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm gonna go ahead and go first uh, with this with this list. So here we go. Um, my number four. Uh, Lead guitar duo is yeah, I'm having trouble saying duo. My number four lead guitar <laughs> duo is Hank Sherman and Michael Dinner from Merciful Fate. Um, they were uh, one of the early ones. Um, if you if you know the bands out there, I mean you'll you'll know which ones have twin guitar attacks, and they were one of the f- first bands to really influence a lot of thrash metal. And they were both playing lead guitar, and they did a lot of harmony guitar, which is the, the whole reason behind these twin guitar attacks, um, both being lead guitar players. And they did some really great work. If you listen to the first album from Merciful Fate, Melissa, there's some incredible guitar work on there. That Both of those guys are ripping up some cool leads, lead guitar solos. So that's my number four. My number three, now this is going to be funny. Um, and a lot of people are going to sit there and say, well, why didn't you pick this guy? But my number three is Dave Mustaine slash insert guitarist here. <laughs> so, okay. So that's fair enough. I mean, think about it. Okay. When, when I looked up the lists of, of this online, right, everybody put Dave Mustaine and Marty Friedman. 
okay, hands down, that was the most popular. But what about Chris Poland? Chris Poland for what, for two albums, right? Then yeah, and, and they were amazing together. Exactly, and and then you've got Kiko now, and you had um, agreed. Chris yeah, Broderick that's good one. for a couple albums. He has these amazing guitar players that play with him. I mean, the least amazing, and even he was really good, was Jeff Young. I mean, he had Al Petrelli, you know, play on an album with him. Yeah. So, uh, or I th- it was it two albums? You know, I, you know. So he's got these really incredible guitar players. So, and they're playing leads as well. You know, and each album have a song or two that really stand out as being, you know, really good songs. So, you know, is it a Dave solo? Is it a, you know, insert guitarist here solo? You know, who is it? We can say this, Marty Friedman, although he was on Rust in Peace and Countdown to Extinction, he was also on Euthanasia. He was also on Risk. He was also on, on uh, what's the other one? Uh, what's the one before? Was uh, he on Cryptic Writings? Yeah, he was on cryptic writings. So, you know, he as, as great as he is, those albums were really, really weak in terms of Megadeth's career. So, you know, I I put Dave Mustaine with whoever he's playing guitar with because, you know, the guy has to one do his own songs that he did on the most recent album, and he's got to do everybody else's songs. So, you know, Kiko being the latest guy, I mean, Kiko rips it, I and mean, Kiko is amazing. And and it, for Kiko, not only is, is is he really really good, and he's he's duplicating everybody else's solos that came before him, but he does it with such flair, and uh, um, I don't want to use the word posturing in a bad sense because it sounds wrong, but it it almost seems like he he seems effortless. It, it's uh, it's so I think definitely that's a good effortless, but he also does it with a, a little bit of a flair that. I think some of the other guitar players didn't have, you know, and that, that's the thing I really, really like about Kiko. You know, he has this connection with the audience and, and he seems so happy to be in Megadeth. It's really cool. Anyway. I like Kiko a lot. I've, I've, I've loved that guy since Angra. I'm a huge fan of Angra throughout their career through multiple singers. And I don't like the new guy as much. The guy from uh, Rhapsody of Fire. Um, but the first two, Edu Falachi and, uh, oh, shoot, what was the first guy's name? Uh, my mind's blanking out. Um, you got me. But, I'm, not, I'm not big on anger. I should be. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, and he was an amazing. Um, Andre Matos. Yeah. Um, what a great band. We should talk about them at some point. But, um, yeah, I... I uh, go, continue on with your list. No, no problem. Totally understand. <laughs> All right. So number two for me, and we're starting to get in that classic period. Number two for me is Glenn Tipton and, and KK Downing from Judas Priest. Um, they basically were the blueprint for the twin axe attack, the twin lead guitars. They, they, they showed everybody how it's done. Um, but I put them in number two because the guys at number one, they, they, to me, they took it a step beyond where Judas Priest was, and that is Dave Murray and Adrian Smith, and insert Yannick Gers uh, at the end there. Um, Murray and Smith are the epitome of the the twin guitar lead guitar attack that a, a band has. Um, harmonies, uh, the rhythm playing that the, the two of them it's it's flawless with those two guys. Like they they know each other so well, and the the funny thing is they're so such contrasting styles because Dave Murray is completely improv. He's just you know when he's in the studio, he, it just comes off the top of his head. He plays it. Now he does remember him, unlike Richie Blackmore. But um, to <laughs> yeah. the to the contrast, Adrian Smith works out his stuff. I mean, writing it down and and making sure and playing it over and over again that he gets the the lead correctly or gets the lead correct when he goes to record it. So there's such a contrast, but yet they blend so well together. And then you throw in Yannick now in the last 20 years, and you have this triple lead guitar attack. So that's a... Yeah, there's a new dynamic. uh, That's a completely new dynamic. So that's my big four lead guitar duos. What do you got? 
I really like yours. Um, you know, I I th- didn't really think about Dinner Sherman, and I wish I had because they were absolutely amazing. Um, but you'll be surprised by num- my number four, or as on my list for some reason it's my number ten. It <laughs> um, <laughs> carried over the uh, the uh, bullet points from the six albums, so I guess it, it just just kept on seven, eight, nine. <laughs> um, so my number four is uh, Chris DeGarmo and Michael Wilton from Queensryche. Um, you know, Queensryche was a band that I was not a fan of for the longest time, and I've really grown an appreciation for them and on multiple levels. I think um, those guys as musicians and as guitarists mesh so incredibly well together. And those those early albums from uh, from Queensryche, you can just hear they have this passion and ability to play together. And, um, you know, I don't know if they ever will again, um, but uh, at that point in their career, they were just absolutely amazing as as uh, partners in music. You know, considering that that I uh, that Queensryche is one of my favorite bands, um, I did I did see and I did have them down probably like the, I would put them at my number five. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 funny thing about DeGarmo and Wilton is that yes they played together yes they harmonized a lot together, but for whatever reason Michael did not get the same kind of of um, props back in the day that Chris got. Um, yeah. You know, even though he was a soloist as well, exactly, and and then even now, because they still do it, up until recently, you know, until he recently quit the band, Parker Lundgren had been basically what Michael was to Chris DeGarmo, you know, so Michael became Chris DeGarmo, and then you know Parker became Michael, and they were they were this duo. I mean, I've seen them five times in concert since they became the the new Queensrÿche. And I mean, they're just, they were impeccable together, but, um, Michael, you know, never really got the same props that, that Chris got back in the day. And I, a lot of it had to do too. I think Chris was one of the main songwriters, so that had something to do with it, but still, man, you know, whips playing is, is, is outstanding. So, yeah. And I, I've mentioned many times before, I really like these last three Queensryche albums with, uh, Todd Latore on vocals. And I've I've just really enjoyed kind of discovering them as a band. All right, my number nine, as <laughs> is on, listed on my list, or my number three, is Matthias Jabs and Rudolf Schenker. Um, I've mentioned a few times that uh, Scorpions is one of my favorite bands. It's it's you know an odd choice considering a lot of my other favorite bands but uh i just always go back to those guys and i remember hearing um you know rocky like a hurricane and uh no one like you no one like you specifically that that guitar harmony like changed my world and these guys like they they just still have so much fun together they're they're still touring they put out their new album i mean their new single for their new album. And um, I just always have such a fun time with, with Scorpions. And to me, in a lot of ways, they defined the, the twin guitar sound um, before I knew of a lot of other bands. So they'll always kind of have a special place in my heart. Uh, my number two is Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. I totally agree with you. I think in a lot of ways they did take what KK and Glenn did and take it to another level. Um, but I have my reasons for picking as you could probably figure out what my number one is, uh, in that spot. But Dave and Adrian specifically, those, you know, those first albums from, from, uh, from Maiden, uh, was it, um, he, Adrian came on on the second album, um, uh, killers all the way through, uh, Seventh Sound of the Seventh Son, those are some of my favorite Iron Maiden albums, and it's undeniable the chemistry these guys have together. You mentioned that they are a little bit different in their styles, um, but that's in a good way, and they complement each other in in ways that you 
get a fuller sound, a more um, interesting sound, because one does what the other doesn't do, and vice versa. So, I you know, I've we've time and time again talked about Iron Maiden as one of our favorite bands, and um, they are pretty much equally deserving on the number one spot. But the reason why I picked KK and Glenn as my number one um, is they really defined that sound. Uh, they, you know, as guys that came from, uh, you know, rock a where they were psychedelic rock becoming metal, they defined the, a lot of the sound of what metal is and brought in that new wave of British heavy metal. And without them, without their their skills and their knowledge and what they created um a lot of other bands wouldn't be doing what they do um those two i think in some of their animosity of trying to one-up each other and trying to be the best and not always really liking each other they created something amazing and those albums that they played on together, I know Richie does a great job, and I've loved the last two albums from, from Judas Priest, but there's something magical about what KK and Glenn did. And hopefully, you know, if they do get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, I don't care much for that organization, but I would love to see them get in because I'd love to see them in the same space. I'd love to see them together in some capacity again, whether it's playing or not just you know i'd love to see them patch things up i i don't know if it'll happen but maybe someday so that's my number one i like the list uh i i i uh didn't expect the the matthias jabs reshanker thing um but uh i they were they were a consideration for my for me earlier i was thinking about the scorpions as well but there's so many out there um it's just it's it's crazy um but uh yeah i like it now the one thing i wanted to say something about um adrian smith and dave murray to to talk about two guys who are so accomplished in their careers okay but the humility that those two had Back in 1985, when they went to do the hearing aid song that Ronnie James Dio uh, asked them to do and play guitar on, Mm -hmm. they opted not to play lead guitar, but yet they did a harmony rhythm section during the chorus. And and they played, you know, because if I'm not mistaken, I believe Vivian Campbell played most of the main... Uh, riff most of the main stuff but uh adrian and and, and um uh dave played a harmony riff during the chorus and, and and during the guitar solos so they were the background guitar work for the guitar solos and you can see it in the videos because you can see them just playing they they said they were both intimidated when they went to uh to to the studio for that because of all these amazing guitar players that just shred, and so that that tells you something about their humility because those two guys can rip it. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's it's crazy to me, but yeah, there, I mean there were so many great guys on that. Like, oh, it's uh, crazy. The, the list is amazing. No, it, it, to, to the the list of guitar players on that on that song is is out of, out of control. You got um, Craig Goldie, you got Vivian Campbell, Neil Sean, George Lynch was on it. Yeah, right? George Lynch of uh, Ingve Malmsteen. Ingve, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I believe, um, like the, I believe. Uh, no, I know Rob Halford was there, but he, uh, KK and, and Glenn were not. Um, trying to think who else was there. Yeah, well, as far as singers, I mean, you got Kevin DeBro. Um, yeah, Rob Halford, obviously Dawson, Jeff Tate, Ronnie James Dio, Paul Shortino. Mm-hmm. I like which Paul is funny because you got too. Paul Shortino and Kevin DeBro. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was that was before the. Uh, before he he joined Quiet Riot, mm-hmm. Paul, 
Um, man, it was a lot of uh, you know. Uh, well, wasn't Brad a, Gillis? Brad, yeah, Brad Gillis was one of the guys on there as well. Yeah. It's crazy how many good guitar players were on there. All right, so that's our big four lead guitar duos, and that wraps up another episode. Remember, if you want to hear more from us, check out our other eighty-nine episodes wherever you listen to your podcast, and if you so desire, subscribe. And ta-da, there we are on your stereo. Your headphones, your AirPods, Bluetooth speaker. Maybe it will even be on your transistor radio, if anybody remembers what that is. And don't forget to leave us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you catch us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment. And if you want, just send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from all our greatest hits episodes. And remember, tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya. See ya.